Welcome into South of Scruffy Podcast. I'm Ben Fields. You found my podcast. Thanks for being here. Got Anthony Palmer on the show today. A great man. Anthony is the host of the podcast Wake Dad Drink Repeat. Anthony is the head of Palm Tree Podco, which is a production company that makes podcasts. And he is just an all around good man with a great story. I really enjoyed our time together. I hope you guys enjoy it too. I want to thank the patrons who support this podcast, patreon.com slash south of scruffy. Those are the people helping us keep the lights on. We appreciate them so much. Thank you guys for all your work and keeping us on the airwaves. Let's get into my chat with uh, Anthony Palmer. Here it is. We're doing the podcast. Oh, what are you pouring over there, sir? So this is Old Bardstown. It's from Will. That's a large pour. Well, I mean, how else do you drink bourbon? <laughs> um, Just like this, I guess. So Willet is like probably one of my favorite bottles of bourbon. I had this thing on back in the day on Wake Dead Drink Repeat where I had a bottle of bourbon on my desk when we would record at night. And it was either a bottle of Jefferson's or it was a bottle of Willet. And I realized that having a bottle in front of me while I was recording with people over Zoom did not work well for me because I would just sit there and keep like, you know, Mm. patching myself the whole time. And it was funny when I would edit the interviews, how like minute 45 would roll around. He'd be like, ooh, slurred that S a little bit. Ooh, (laughs) you can hear it. (laughs) Shouldn't have done that. Too much bourbon on the podcast. It's happened here before too. Yeah. I will will say. It it comes with the territory. But yeah, man, so this old Bardstown, it's um, it's from Willett. And I think my understanding is you can only find it in Kentucky, but it used to be, I think you could only find it at the distillery. So I got it. We went up and did the bourbon trail right before the pandemic. Um, And I fell in love with this bourbon and my dad was just up there for work and came home with a couple bottles for me. So I wanted to come share some with you. Well, thank you. Cheers, Cheers, sir. Ah, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. It's nice and smooth. Ah, Bottled and bond. Uh oh. See, I heard that you like to bottled and bond. Bourbon. I do like some bottled and bond bourbon. But so, what does that mean? So, it is. It's that it's at least a hundred proof, or however they call it. Whatever you, I don't see. Yeah, it's, it's a government it has, standard. It, has to be right? proof. it is, but it, so it goes back to like pro, like pre-prohibition era. I think is the whole story with it. And it it was a way in which bourbon was made, and it was it like it guaranteed that it was made kind of appropriately, right? Like sure. there was, yeah, it's a certain, it's a certain, it has uh, to be a hundred proof or more. Right. And it also has to be a certain batch size, right? Uh, I don't know. If, I don't know about that one. That, okay. that very well could be it. Okay. Um, but it's single barrel, isn't it? I'm pretty sure it's usually single barrel if it's yeah. bottled and bond. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think it's a better, you know what you're getting. You get a little punch with it. You it's know? tasty. It is tasty. Well, it, it, I'm very glad that you brought uh, some bourbon over because of the, you know, how I, how I found out about you first was, was your podcast, uh, <laughs> uh, or one of your podcasts, I guess, uh, wake dad, drink, repeat. And you started, I don't know. When did you guys start that? So we started the pod in 
uh, summer, late spring, early summer of 2019. Okay. So a little bit before you guess. Yeah. Uh, how'd you, uh, how'd you, what was the reason to get a podcast like that started? Yeah. So, um, at the time we had just, my wife and I had just had our son Oliver. So he was, he was born in May of, um, 18. So, you know, he was like a year old and he was probably about a year old when we came up with the idea. So I was at the grocery store and was shopping and doing the normal, like I was the stay at home, work from home parent. So going and getting groceries as one does for their house, you know, and I had Oliver with me and had him in the little like baby chest carrier, which always felt bad for him in because like there's just a lot of hair and sweat that goes on when you're strapped to a grown man's chest <laughs> you know so anyways it was like traumatizing him for life with like sweary sweaty hairy chest and um i was standing in line to check out and this lady said something to me something along the lines of like oh how sweet of you to like have your son with you you know or like so, something of that like this isn't the gender role reverse sexism <laughs> comment, yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. which I'm not like here saying that I was offended by it all that much, but it was, it was not the first time I had heard it. Mm. And it was annoying to the extent that like for us as men to think, why is this so odd that I'm out getting food for my house while I have my son with me? Like this shouldn't be a thing. That's like a, a comment. Yeah. On like, and I, I understand conceptually why it can be and is it's the exception to the gender roles that we see every day. Right. Sure. But it kind of pissed me off. Mm. Um, so I was on the, I was driving home and I, I called my buddy, Mike Smith, who started the podcast with me. Good friend of mine lives in black mountain, North Carolina and was in the same role. His wife was primary source of income. He was primary care for the kids. And I was like, dude, it happened again. Can we cuss on this? Oh, yeah. Okay. It happened fucking again. (laughs) And uh, I'm like, you know, this chick just said this to me at the store. I'm like, I just don't get it. You know, we should start a podcast and be like the opposite of the traditional mom podcast. That's Mm. not like just, uh, I'm, you know, was sitting around all day and then I'm bitching that my husband got home and didn't help with the kids and this, that, and the other. Like, I want to have a conversation about being the dad on the other side of this. Like, this is stupid that we get hammered over this, you know? And, um, anyway, so we just kind of literally, it was like, all right, let's do it. Like neither one of us knew anything about podcasts, knew <laughs> anything about production, do nothing. We're like, all right, we'll, we'll make it work. So we kind of just dove off, man. And you, you started it remotely. We did. Yeah. So, um, Mike was in, like it, it still is in black mountain and I'm here in Knoxville and, um, we, he came, he would come over to Knoxville for like a day and we would record a couple episodes or do some, you know, do some stuff for promotional stuff or Get whatever. Get some in the bank. Yep. And we quickly learned and realized that us just talking, the two of us about our experiences of fatherhood and like whatever was boring. Mm. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, we have the experiences that we have, but like at a certain point, it's like, well, I don't know that, that really matters as much, you know? And we decided we wanted to start interviewing people. And we were yeah. like, we'll do, you know, one episode a month is an interview, right? And first guy we interviewed was Simon Hall, which I don't know if- I, you, I know Simon. You know Simon? Yeah, I met him a long time ago. Okay. So Simon 
uh, at the time was still in Knoxville and lived in my neighborhood. And um, I was like, Simon, you're the perfect person. Like you have, if you, you define like a crazy story of fatherhood. Right. Sure. Um, so I had this interview with him and it was just, it was awesome. It was just easy. He was sitting in my living room. We were just hanging out and talking. And I was like, this, this is it. Like, this is the way that we do this. So you've, <clears throat> excuse me. So you stumbled on the format uh, with your, with your first guest. We did. We did. Yeah. And it, and it, you know, it's been an evolution ever since. Um, Mike and I, um, when you and I were talking beforehand, you said you've worked, done this every week since you guys started minus a, a three week period you took off. Like that's impressive, man. We, uh, we would shut down at times for a week or two here or there, take off breaks around like the kids schedules and stuff. But, um, it kind of got to a point where it became a lot of a lot of work. I mean, you, you get up towards a hundred episodes and it's a lot, man. Yeah, people people think that it's just sitting down and having a conversation, but there's a lot more to that. And I'm so lucky to have the help that Sam uh, you know, provides and I'm not in this by myself. You know, I have a producer that that helps me get it out there, but it still is, you know. It's always on your mind. It's always, you know, you're always thinking about who your next guests are going to be. And that's why I think you really have to love it in order yeah. to to do it. I mean, it's not um, it, 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 it's not going to be something that's any good if it just feels like an obligation. And then in order to do that, I think you have to have a topic that interests you or different topics that interest you that you can talk about. Uh, and it seems like you guys found a niche that is that that uh, that uh, you know is interesting there's the niche piece of it and I, I i think you're right and i think at the end of the day you know wake dead drink repeat is we we set out with this mission of defining today's dad so that was like our key question that we would ask everyone if you go back to like early episodes we started by asking people how they no we ended how by asking people how they define today's dad and then so many episodes later we're like well shit that we should start the episode that way and then distill down from there and then it was like well so i mean basically everybody defines today's dad in the same way of like we're figuring it out now it may be like with an empathy piece forward or a leadership piece piece forward forward. provider or whatever but at the end of the day is that none of us know what the hell it is we're figuring out as we go and pardon me and i think that what i found was as cool as the niche thing is and like i i i do really value that space that we hold and i think while the show has kind of gone idle for a little bit because of the production company which you know i know we'll get into but um there's two things that became really clear as the show is slowed down. And then as we were developing it, I guess the, the stories that we're able to tell through these conversations, like that's a really special thing to like, this is a fun conversation and we're hanging out at your house, having a good time or whatever, but like you're getting into, you're tapping into a part of somebody when you have them come in and talk about their life, you know? And there's a lot of like, I kind of hold that space sacred. I feel like now every time I talk to someone is like, you're, you're giving me permission to share your story and to ask you about your story. I mean, who am I to ask, you know? Yeah. And, and I think, uh, you know, dads aren't, uh, or men in general, aren't known to be huge 
burden sharers necessarily. You don't hear, uh, at, at least, I'm, I'm, and I'm just speaking in, you know, general kind of archetypal yeah. stuff, but you know, to, to hear a dad sit behind a microphone and get vulnerable about kind of how hard it is and how hard it can be. I mean, that's something that you don't hear about on a daily basis because there's so much machismo involved well, inherently sometimes there is but i also think it's interesting like so break that down a little bit why is it because we really are so like macho macho man that like we don't want to talk about our feelings or is it that the space has never really been there to allow men to do so because we have so many other things that we feel like is what defines so regardless of what you actually feel, there's external pressures and internal pressures, right? Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that we found through all the conversations we had was I would ask somebody to come on our podcast and people would say yes, because they got to come on and talk about something that they've never been asked to talk about before, mm. right? Or or through the lens in which they've never gotten to talk about it before. So we've had professional athletes, we've had politicians, journalists, authors, news anchors, CEOs, chefs. I mean, you name it, right? We've had anyone and everyone on the show. And the way I always posed it to people on the front hand when we were like emailing and getting them onboarded was you've probably spent most of your life talking about your, your life through your career first, mm-hmm. right? Like here I am, I'm a, I'll, I'll use Scott Stallings, a professional golfer that we, that lives here in Knoxville that we've had on, on the show before as an example, like Scott, probably gets looked through as like the lens that he gets viewed through is as a golfer. Right. Right. Scott's got a really interesting story about his family and like how his family was on tour with him all the time and what that change was like when they decided to like really settle in in Knoxville and like not have his kids on the road as much and how that was going to affect his game and what that would look. I mean, there's a huge story there and that's a big part of a person. Mm. Right. But that's not something that you, would hear would expect to hear someone like that go talk about on a podcast. Yeah, nobody leads with that usually when they get a chance to interview somebody like Scott Stallings. Right. right. Yeah. So there's a different there's a different playing field yeah. <laughs> that you guys can play in. It's parallel to, you know, parallel but still very real. Yeah. You know, par- parallel to their life and just as important to their life as their career is, but it is something that is kind of in the dark a little bit, I guess. Well, and I think that's what pulls it out, right? So then you get to start sharing with people like, you know, we I've been very open about this on our show about all the infertility and IVF and everything that Michelle, my wife, and I dealt with in, in trying to have Oliver. I've been open about adopting Anderson when Michelle and I got married. I've been open about, you know, my mental health struggles at times and, you know, see how I see a psychologist and psychiatrist and how I take medicine and all these things. And I'm not saying that because I'm looking for like accolades of like, Hey, thanks for talking about that stuff, brother. But somebody's got to talk about that kind of stuff and, 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 and allow people to also feel comfortable talking about it. And for everything that we've done with the podcast, the most meaningful, impactful thing that's ever happened is those emails or those DMs or whatever that I get from our listeners at times that are like, hey, and I, you know, it's happened. I can't remember how many times. It's not like it happens every day, but it happens quite frequently where I get a message. It's like, hey, you know, we just had a miscarriage and I heard your episode about talking about that. And thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Or my wife and I are going through IVF right now and they're like, it's really hard, you know, and people don't think about the guy in that situation as much. And and 
rightly so to some extent, but there is another person that's involved in that whole journey of infertility and the challenges with that. And just even knowing how to support your spouse through that. Yeah. That's, you know, yeah, that's a topic that I would never even think about. Right. My head, my head goes to, you know, support the mom in this situation. But it's, Uh, but there is, yeah, there's another person involved. I hadn't even, I don't even think about that. And that's just, I think that's the, the like framework of, you know, masculinity that gets, that gets, uh, just i think subtly laid on top of a person over the years it's uh you 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 don't feel comfortable being vulnerable as a man sometimes right it's like you feel like it's not your place you have to be the strong one and uh, i think that um the fact that there's people out there who say that it's okay to do that that's a really good and strong reminder that people need i think so and i think i've never really thought about this before until you were just saying all that but it's funny, like, I, I definitely, um, as I lay here on your couch and tell you all about my life, <laughs> I um, I was never really that, like, super machismo dude growing up, kid growing up, boy growing up, whatever you want to say with it. So it's funny now that, like, I've always been very in touch with my emotions and happy to talk about my feelings and all that kind of stuff. And, I mean, so maybe this was, like, the, the plan all along, right, was to be able to here I am now with this opportunity or I've had this opportunity now to, to lead that charge a little Mm. bit and to talk about that kind of stuff Mm. and, and to be like, to me, it's almost weird to not talk about it. You know, like I'm probably that awkward person when I meet people the first time, like especially guys where you're like, you lead off with like, Hey man, got kids. How many kids you got? Tell me about your kids. Tell me about your life. You know, like, I'm like, (laughs) let's just go for it. Let's just talk. You know, like I don't need all the fluff and the BS. Come on. Let's just like, dive into real life stuff. There's a lot to learn in life, man. I, I think it's, uh, well, I have to know, did you, did you start the podcast first? And then after you guys had success with the podcast, you thought, Hey, this is, this is something I want to do more of like this. Wake dad, drink, repeat is not, is not enough. I need more. I need to, or, or <laughs> I, now I know how to help people do this because it seems like you have a kind of a helper's kind of heart here and that you're uh that you're trying to uncover these things and let people give people a space to to have conversations but you've you've kind of it seems like parlayed that into a business or a company that has that has been kind of an an extension of what your podcast started to do yeah we i have um i don't know that it was that intentional um i i definitely i i appreciate the helper heart comment and something because that, that is something that i i do pride myself in that like i i genuinely enjoy um you know it fills my bucket up being somebody that somebody could turn to yeah. for help right you know um and and being available to people and i think we've all as i was kind of saying a minute ago you know we've all have our own life experiences and and part of going through things in life, the hard shit, the good shit, the whatever is then being able to like pass those experiences and those lessons along. Right. So Palm Tree Podco, my, my production company that I'm working on the rebrand right now, the name of it, I'm thinking we're going to lean towards like Palm Tree Media or something like that, which I hate because it's not a good alliteration. Naming a, naming a production company is a really hard thing to do, you know? But we're doing more than just podcasts. We're doing this storytelling, which is the reason I just went on that tangent for a second. 
we we're working with clients primarily in the podcast space, but then supporting them through their digital media, through their websites, through, you know, any and any and all other outlets that they have in which they tell their story. Hmm. Because there's so many stories to tell, right? I mean, there are easily over a million podcasts out there in the world, right? Yeah. You can, it's like 4 million. It's bananas. Yeah. But there's a lot of people with a lot of good stuff to talk about. Sure. You know, um, there's a lot of people with a lot of really bad stuff to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> this might be it. I don't this, know. This could be it. Everybody yeah. is like turned off at this point. Like <laughs> these guys suck. Um, but yeah, so we now have this opportunity. I, I, as I started the company, one of the things I had in mind was this concept of wellness because what I had found through wake dad, drink, repeat was really what we were doing was having a conversation about wellness mm. Yes, it was about fatherhood, but it wasn't just like, I don't, you know, we didn't want to just sit around and talk with people about like, what's the stupidest thing your kid's ever done? How pissed do you get at your kids sometimes? Do you lock yourself in the bathroom? Like, you ever yelled? Yeah. <laughs> like it was more, what is something that, what's an experience that you've been through as a guest that you're willing to share that will hopefully help the next person or the person that hears this to be able to be a better version of themselves, mm. you know, to be able to pass something along. Because again, if you're giving of your time to let me talk in your ears for 45 minutes to an hour to an hour and a half, whatever it is on this podcast, you know, I, hopefully you're leaving with something, yeah. right? It's not just like annoyance that these guys chatted for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. There's some gratitude involved there, right? Like you're, you're grateful to have people that listen and uh, you want to, uh, that then gives you an obligation to have some kind of value proposition. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so that becomes the the driver in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, and that's, so in work, in, in developing Palm Tree, you know, one of the big things that I've been pretty adamant about is that the shows that we work with have, that they have some deliverable along the wellness front. Mm -hmm. And whether that's financial wellness, mental physical, emotional, educational. I know educational wellness isn't a word, but we're making it a word right now. You know, like something that there's going to be that takeaway. Somebody's going to be able to grow, nourish themselves, nourish others, be better versions of themselves, be promote, help their community with that information, whatever it may be. So that has been really cool to then step back and look at that and, um, you know, we're, look at all of these shows and these people that we're working with who are, at the end of the day, are storytellers, right? They're telling their own story. They're sharing other people's stories with the intention of having an impact on other people's lives. Yeah, and they just might not have the tools themselves to do it. And that's what you are as a big fat toolbox. Your yes, company I is, am right? a big fat toolbox. <laughs> <laughs> Your company is. Well, you're, you're but very I am spelt, the company, sir. so, you know, I mean, it's... <laughs> At the end of the day, maybe we should just call it the big fat toolbox. Company. I think that'd, be, that'd work. You, your, your, your naming journey would be over at that point. You wouldn't have to. It may out. be hard to get that website though. You think? I don't know. I wouldn't Google it. Yeah. Somebody Google it and get back to me. You can send me a DM and let me know. Are you a Knoxville guy? Are you from here? I am. Yeah. Born and raised. Really? Born and raised. I, I went to University of Kentucky for two years, uh, my freshman and sophomore year of college, and then blew that joint and came back here. Where, uh, where'd you grow up? What part of town? Uh, right at Pellissippi and Westland. So oh. almost West Knoxville, but not 
West Knoxville. You know, man, I bet we went to school together. I went to Sacred Heart and Knoxville Catholic. See, I was a public school guy, so uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, we played you in football at least, or something Where'd you like go? that. I went to uh, let's see, I went to uh, Farragut Middle School, went to Bearden High School. Okay. Yeah, but I was over off like uh, Ebenezer and yeah, man. I grew, you know, Al Lots. Yeah, grew up right across from it in Woodland Springs. Yeah, gotcha. I went to Al Lots for a year. Oh, look at that. See, yeah, see, kindred spirits, right? Yeah, here. we <laughs> close to each other. I drove by Al Lots every day on my way to the private school. <laughs> excuse the hell out of me. <laughs> well, uh, parochial well, school. Excuse me. I should get it right. Yeah. Well, it seems like you turned out all right in spite of all that. In spite of being raised in a Catholic school and growing up Catholic, I turned out okay. (laughs) (laughs) Were you in the uh, sports thing or the arts thing? Or seems like everybody kind of does something with their with their youth. Yeah. Um. No, not really. I I did. I played, you know, soccer like growing up, like every basketball and soccer growing up, like everybody does. Um, but nothing ever really stuck. I'm telling you, man, I was, I, I was born 40 years old and that was a problem for most of my life, you know, like made it really hard to kind of find a place and feel connected to wherever I was. Um, you know, so old soul in a small, small pond of a private school that then fed into a small, even, you know, another small private school being with the same people from kindergarten through 12th grade. I was, uh, it was, it was growing up was probably not my, on the outside piece like that was probably not my most like favorite experience in my life. Really? Um, yeah, man, it took me, it, I I really think it was probably my junior year in high school before I feel like I kind of maybe started to find myself a little bit. Did you have friends or were you a loner? No, I had friends, okay. but I, um, <laughs> mama, <laughs> um, no, I had friends. I, I don't think that I had good friends. I think mm. I, I don't think I had like true friends. I think I was quick to just kind of try to be somewhere, you know, like, oh, I, can hang out with these people or I can hang out. I, I was really good at kind of floating, which is a a big benefit, I think, or a big a good trait to have. Just kind of fit in with everybody. Yeah. But that also makes you feel like you don't fit in with anybody. Yeah. At the same that. time, you know? Um yeah. So my that wasn't that was an interesting growing up was an interesting time on that front. Had a really, really solid family life growing up. I've got a younger sister, two parents that are Obviously, two parents. Well, I shouldn't say obviously, but I have two parents. I have mom and dad that are still together and uh, really close. We're all pretty tight knit group, um, you know. And I, like I said, it was really. I, I feel like I didn't really ever figure out kind of who I was to myself, and probably until I was off into college. Like it, high school was a pretty like big question mark time in my head. Well, what was the junior year in high school moment where you kind of? felt like you're starting to get it together oddly enough you asked about sports and i started really kind of getting into um endurance sports so running cross country um yeah but it was more like i kind of started playing around with triathlon a little bit um and a a lot of time on the bike is there support for that in in school is it is there competition uh i mean it was more just doing like local races and stuff around town like getting in 
to like race day events was the big group here around town that used to do or they still do but they were the big group back in the day triathlon type stuff running biking yep swimming swimming. yes i swam in high school um and you you'll get this as a knoxville guy it's funny all these stories we're talking about you're asking me all these things and i'm thinking like oh well this person who is this pivotal moment in my life is a client of mine now and this person who is involved Ah. at this point in my life is a client you know like it's funny so listen up kids be nice to the be be nice nice to to the everybody yeah (laughs) don't be an asshole yeah they might be your client yeah and then you can be an asshole to them um (laughs) no it's quite the opposite (laughs) don't do that they won't be a client anymore um yeah, so I got, I got kind of into this endurance sport world a little bit and I think got to start having some like honest conversations with myself like in these times where you were out training but also like found something that really kind of was speaking to me, you know, mm. like I I was into it. Um But that's a that's a, a solo deal, right? It is. It's like you and your thoughts. It is. Um and, and pushing yourself. And pushing yourself. Yeah, and I was I was really fortunate. I there was a a guy who is a client of mine now, Eric Bell. Um, Eric's a former professional triathlete who lives here in Knoxville. Um, and Eric was training me in high school and into college. And, um, I say that like when I say training, it makes it sound like I was like decent or even like remotely good, but like not, I just had somebody that was my coach, right? Hey, if you can run, swim and bike more than a hundred <laughs> yards, I think you, you've got it figured out. Commendable, sir. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was like a big that was kind of a big thing was being able to kind of find myself through that and and still to this day that's my especially running that's my reset. Like that's mm-hmm. where I go to find myself when things feel hectic and crazy and overwhelming whatever is is on a run. I dig it. Yeah. Is that what uh so what took you to UK then? What I made w- you want to make that decision? I wanted to get the fuck out of Knoxville. Really? Why? Yeah. Because I went to Sacred Heart K through eight and we graduated and these numbers are off now, but like, I'll give you a very close estimate. We graduated from Sacred Heart with like a class of like 80 something people that I've been with since kindergarten. Yeah. Like 79 of them went to Catholic with us. Yep. Graduated from Catholic in a class of like 130. Right. So there was no fresh blood that had been around. Right. You know, quite quite a homogenous educational experience. Yes. Everybody knew everything about everyone. And that makes sense why you would want to distance yourself from that. Yeah. The idea of getting away for a little bit was attractive. Um, University of Kentucky had a cycling team. Uh, It was a a club sport team, but it was a nice, pretty cool team. So I went up there and and raced with them for a couple of years and um, did some fundraising with them was kind of like the the vp of the team and did some pretty cool fundraising stuff between my freshman and sophomore year to fund the team which was super cool yeah um a lot of community stuff relationship stuff which i think still has an an impact today on things and um yeah really again following kind of that trajectory of things like it was time out on the bike and with with people this time, a lot of people doing stuff, you know, riding together and putting miles in, but getting to have pretty impactful conversations because you're out on the bike for a couple hours and what the hell else are you going to talk about? Yeah. You know, uh, it's a good way to get to know people. Yeah. You can cover some ground too on a bicycle uh-huh. in a couple hours. Yeah. Uh, it's road stuff, right? Road. Is that, is we that were the primarily road. Was? Yeah. Okay. Did you do any mountain biking? I mountain biked a little bit then. I do. I mountain bike a lot more now than I did, did back then. Can't believe how big it's gotten here. It's awesome. 
It's a great place for it, isn't it? We live in a freaking incredible place for it. And it, when you like punch that, you know, somewhat mature human card and like you have kids that are relying upon you and whatever, getting out on a road bike or in Knoxville feels a little squirrely sometimes. Yeah, I know a guy who's gotten hit by a car before on a bike, and he was in California. He wasn't here, but yeah. still, harrowing experience for him and his family. I got run over. I was fortunately we were at a red light when it happened, so I was I was fine. My bike was trashed, but uh, I got run over on uh, Middlebrook. Ooh, when I was in college. Yeah, that's that's that surprises me because that's like not a super busy road all mm-hmm. the time. We were at a red light. The guy was on his phone, came up my ass. After he had already been sitting because he thought he, the best part was he got out of the car and tried to fight me. What? Yeah, came out swinging at me. What time was this? Like, I don't know, late afternoon. Had he been drinking? I don't think so. Came why out. would he, why would you hit someone on a bicycle and then Because it was my fault that I wasn't more over to the side. It was actually quite funny. At that point, I took my helmet off and I smacked him in his face with it. Nice. <laughs> he took a swing at me. Thank I was you. like, let's go. And the best part about it was a cop was right across the road. Like mm. there was a Weigel's out there. At, I forget yeah. what intersection. It I is. know where it is. And she, <laughs> she came flying over in her car and just grabbed the dude and like threw him against the front of his car. She was like, uh, uh-uh. <laughs> like I saw what happened. Saw this whole thing. I was hoping I wasn't going to have to come <laughs> over here. Like, you just ruined my icy day break. Damn it. <laughs> so what happens? What happens after you get hit, hit by a vehicle on a, on a bicycle? I got to put my broken bike in the back seat of the lady cop car nice. and then sit in the back seat of the lady cop car and she drove me home. Okay. What and happened I'm, to your bike? Did did the homeboy have to replace your bike? Is this... Yeah, there was like insurance coverage on it oh, or wow, nice. whatever. Because yeah. I'm sure it was a nice bike. If See, you were asking about the bike and I was going on to my whole like lady cop story. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm no. just saying I was not following. <laughs> have you uh, have have you heard the song Mrs. Officer by that, one Lil Wayne? Okay. Well, she didn't appreciate me asking her that question. Oh, in the back shit. Of her car. <laughs> you asked her? Oh, yeah. I absolutely asked wee, her. Wee, wee, wee. Yeah, she didn't find it as funny as I did. She didn't. No. Were you? Uh, were you making a move? Be honest with me. I no. I just no. you know got stopped by a lady cop. And just, needed to, <laughs> just needed to ask. Just, just needed to know if she knew the song. She did. I'm sure she did. Yeah. I'm positive that she did. She was just playing hard to get. Which I get it. I was wearing spandex. I mean, you know, it's intimidating. You about landed your ass in jail after <laughs> right? like, after being the victim of a crime. <laughs> This is I'm, I'm pre-arresting you for harassment that I feel like is getting ready to start coming my way. <laughs> I'm sure that she got stuff like that all the time. Was all she attractive? Time. I don't remember. I was pretty torn up about the fact that my bike was crushed. Were, were, there's some some adrenaline, some shot going on. I was just pretty pissed about my bike being really? crushed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I used to run that motorcycle right there down uh, Middlebrook Pike when we lived in Park Ridge, and my office was out off of Level Road, and I would ride out there uh and it's a long ride yeah man it's it's what 18 20 miles yeah from from downtown all the way out to damn near carnes yeah you know the thing i would ride it at uh at like eight o'clock 8 30 in the morning and you know when you're on a bicycle or on a motorcycle i you know you're passing cars they've got the windows open you're pulling up next to them i was absolutely shocked at how many people are smoking marijuana in their car at eight o'clock in the morning that is an impressive stat i'm sure it i, I was every day i was smelling weed and like pulling up to the <laughs> same same i'm like who's smoking weed here today and it's then like- <laughs> smell it three or four more times i'm like it's eight o'clock in the morning. I'm going to send your ass to rehab if I find out who that is. It'd be even better if like 
by like the third or fourth time you do it, you like get to know the person. You yeah. get their window down every morning. Yeah, they're like, passing Billy? it to me. Yeah, like, hey man, that's cool. <laughs> no, that's fine. You can say you smoke. We do whatever you want. I don't. I don't care. I'm not. I'm not going to judge anybody. I'm just not doing it at eight o'clock in the morning driving down Middlebrook. Right. It's not really my vibe. Yeah, that's my that's my whole deal. If I were driving down the road with a tall boy in between my knees at eight o'clock in the morning, you would, you would say I have a problem. Exactly. You'd say I have a problem. But you know, if I'm fishing uh with my boys on the clinch river you know both are fine it's fine (laughs) even if it is eight o'clock in the morning in fact it'd be frowned upon if i wasn't doing that at eight o'clock it's context yeah absolutely (laughs) isn't that life though (laughs) it's all all context brother did you did you finish going to school at kentucky or did you come back to ut no i came back to you i came back and finished at ut okay so do you identify more with the university of kentucky or the university of tennessee Neither. Not really. Yeah, not really either. I mean, I, I would say that I, you know, I, I mean, I say I graduated from UT, obviously, and yeah. grew up here. So what'd you study? Com studies. Oh, nice. Good, good communication school, right? It is, man. It's I working for you now, too. It is. It is. Yeah. I really loved, um, I really loved getting into my major at UT. And yeah. I think, I think I probably would have liked it at UK, too, if I had stuck around, because it, it was that transitional phase where you went from like the big ass lecture halls to all of a sudden like 20 people in a classroom yeah you know um but man i i really enjoyed like the learning piece of communication in school that was super fun uh did you like lexington i loved lexington okay it's a cool town love lexington it reminds me a lot of knoxville i haven't spent a lot of time there it's a a buddy who lived in versailles yeah 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 he lived right next you to You said the, it right. So good on you. It depends on who you are, right? right? <laughs> I've heard that there's like a, uh, there's like, oh, I forget what it is. It's like a weird generational thing of like people who were in like World War II age called it Versailles. Yep. And then people that were boomers, I guess, called it Versailles. Well, it makes sense, right? I mean. Yeah. But then people who were millennials called it, started to call it Versailles because they were educated about yeah. world war ii i had this is semi embarrassing and somewhat related to like names in the lexington area but there was a there was an area of lexington called like chevy chase or whatever yeah and i remember when i got up there people were like yeah you know the chevy chase area i was like oh shit chevy chase is from lexington yeah like he lives here now is that why it's called that <laughs> my roommate was like mm, no <laughs> dude i was in a movie with chevy chase really i was in a scene yeah it's uh it's right there funny money you see it right there that that movie uh i was working for uh the director who directed that movie and they had to they shot a bunch of scenes in god where was it it was like romania or something like that and they had to reshoot one of the scenes in la i was living in la at the time (laughs) and they had to reshoot this scene and uh my boss knew that i was that i was an aspiring actor uh and he was like hey do you want to be in a, a scene with with chevy chase and i was are you kidding me? I would love to be in a scene with Chevy Chase. <laughs> of course I would. And so uh, uh, he had me to set one day and I got to read uh, got to read my script and run lines with Chevy Chase at these studios in Santa Clarita and uh, smoking Marlboro Reds and 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 reading and, and reading lines with Chevy Chase. And then we got and uh, got out there and did the scene. It was uh, it took us about a half day to shoot the whole thing. And they cut all my lines out of it, and uh, <laughs> I got to nod a little bit, and and uh, it, it will forever go down as probably the worst movie ever that Chevy Chase was ever in. So, uh, but I got to be in it with him. But and now I'm three degrees from Kevin Bacon. You'll be remembered for being the worst Chevy Chase movie 
ever. Yes. Right? Yeah. You I don't want to be mid-pack on that. You either want to no. be like best or worst. Yes, exactly. You either want to be Christmas vacation or funny money. Right. I happen to get the funny money uh, into the stick there, which is fine. I mean- I got to see it in theaters. I went and watched it. Oh, at, that's uh, cool. Yeah. I went to uh, the, the, what's it called? The Turkey Creek, the pinnacle. Went and got, got to see, uh, got to see it there, play there. Is it, so like one of the funniest things to me about podcasting was like how horrible it is hearing your voice. Yeah. The first couple times, right? Uh-huh. Well, I did not get to hear it in that movie. No, no, no. But this is where I'm at. <laughs> how is it weird seeing yourself? Like, is it at, is what's worse, hearing yourself or seeing yourself? Well, go, going back and looking at it now, um, I don't even recognize myself ultimately. <laughs> I, I I played it for for some some folks at the office one day and I was like, see if you guys notice anything about this scene. And everybody watched it. They were like, Okay, yeah, it's it's fine. It's a scene in a movie. I'm like, let's watch it one more time. <laughs> And then space, uh, pay special attention to Bob over yeah, here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So what about that guy holding the dog? And th- this guy in the office was like, he he, he was watching. I was like, do you notice anything about that guy? He was like, he looks like Eminem. <laughs> He's talking about me. I'm like, all right, let's watch it a third time. It's like that's me, you asshole. It's like my my my, my one one uh, fifteen minutes of fame. It was four seconds. I was thinking when you started that story that you were going to tell me they reshot it and asked you to be in it because you like have some like rich Romanian heritage or something like that. But no, I was available. I was just available. A guy. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it was great. I was working, you know, I was working behind the camera at the time. And so, yeah, they, they put me in, uh, they put me in a scene in front of the camera. That's all I ever wanted. That's super you know? cool. And dude. that was enough for me. That's super cool. And, it, and, it, and, and after that, uh, I, I decided that, that behind the camera was fine. Well, better spot to be. Better spot to be. Here you I work am. a lot more. You have a lot more fun. Uh, it's just yeah. The the whole man. The Hollywood thing. That the actor Hollywood. How do I get up? Thing. How do I get a, a leg up? Is just. It's it's a weird space, man. You know, but I think it it's it's funny. Like, I was just I had a couple check in calls with some clients today, and you and I were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. The numbers game on things, right? Like what it what it means to be successful. Sure. And I everything you just said about that experience, I'm like, that is a successful I mean, yeah. granted, you've gone on to do other stuff. Like that to me would be a successful acting career. Like you got to check that box, you feel good about it. Like yeah. something cool to talk about. Like yeah. you've done it, you know? Like and it's led to you, obviously you were doing other stuff at the time too, but like here you are, you've grown within that and had other experiences within it, you know? Yeah. And I, I don't know. I just think that that's something that it, it's not always about, there's only so many Chevy Chases or there's only so much room sure. for a Chevy Ch- for so many Chevy Chases, right? Yeah. But there's a lot of middle of the pack people. Yeah. It was cool. Like the, the guy that I worked with was, the, the director that I worked for was just a stone cold just businessman like just a the epitome of an LA director and I thought it was so cool and I worked for that guy for two years and he was he was horrible to work for I'll be honest about it like he was it was hard for me to work for him just because of of uh, the the horrible things I had to watch go on at our at our company and uh the fact that he thought about me and and was like this this could be cool for this young man's life like that that was special 
But then I think about what it really was, which was he needed a warm body. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then it becomes something completely different. Yeah. Yeah. But it is, it, it, you know, it was, it was, uh, it, it was being in a place at a time and, uh, it, it, it something that, something that I'll certainly never forget, but it's still like a man behind the curtain thing where you're like, I wish I wouldn't have seen that. Who don't know about that. <laughs> well, what'd you do after you got out of school and what, and, and what was the, the gap like in between, uh, finishing UT in communications and where did you think you were going to take that road? Um, I assume that podcasting wasn't a, a, a viable uh, arena to make money in at the time. No, it was not. So I assume you did something else. I did. Yeah. So, um, Oh, thank you. Um, I may have a little more of this actually. Oh yeah. The Bards, the Bardstown. Bardstown. I'm remember, still working on mine. Remember how I texted you and was like, I'm just I'm probably not going to drink a lot. I'm just going to have like a sip or something. Cause I have work to do tonight, but Hey, yeah. here we are. Tuesday Palm Tree Podcast shows. Watch out. Um, yeah, so I, my, when we were growing up, um, my dad, when I was 10, was diagnosed with a type of leukemia called AML and um, acute myeloid leukemia. And it's, it, is that a bone thing? Yeah, it's a blood cancer. Mm, blood. Um, and it's one that, that specific type of leukemia is one that's pretty, rare for somebody for a man in his 40s to get Mm. um the kind of uh prognosis for someone like that getting that was like super not good um and dad fortunately is still with us today he beat it there was there's a whole bunch there and i've talked about it on my podcast before and all that kind of shit but um so if you're just dying to know go dig through some wake dead drink repeat episodes but um when I graduated from college, I was at the time working at Blue Ridge Mountain Sports yeah, I love here, that place. In, here in Knoxville and um, got a part-time job with Leukemia Lymphoma Society with, nice. the, with the Tennessee chapter, uh, working for one of their nonprofit arms called, or one of their fundraising arms called Team in Training. So Team in Training was, this kind of goes back to the endurance sport thing, a, um, they would take participants and train them to do half marathons marathons century rides triathlons of all different distances are these cancer survivors or just supporters of the everything okay so you you could be a survivor you could be a supporter a family member or somebody who just a lot for a lot of team and training athletes um team and training would get uh race entries for pretty hard to get into races like Ironman World Championships in Kona, the New York Marathon, the Boston Marathon, so like sponsor Marathon. exemption type stuff. Uh, not necessarily. They a lot of those big organizations will will reserve X amount of bibs oh. for nonprofits. Cool, so that they can have their participants fundraise for that yeah, event yeah, and all yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. So, anyways, I got hired on with LLS and was the campaign coordinator for. Um, East Tennessee for the Knoxville area. Nice. And it was awesome, man. It was really cool. It was my love of endurance athletics and getting to spend time with that. It was this thing that had been a really integral part of my life since I was 10 with the Leukemia Lymphoma Society and fundraising for them. My family had fundraised um, like a shit pile of money for LLS at this point in our lives. So you're, so um, you were pretty young when your dad got the diagnosis. 10. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And then, so he still was battling cancer. No, later or no. no he was, so he, he was, was his, in remission. his whole 
journey was about a year. Okay. Um, and people with AML, there's this like three or five year, 10 mark, 10 year mark that you kind of look to get to. So once you, once you get to that five year mark, your chance of, um, of, and, and it has been a while since I've had to know these statistics. And so if somebody's listening to this and I'm wrong, I'm sorry, but basically it was like, once you got to that five year mark, your chance of relapsing and coming out of remission went down by like about half. Mm. Once you got to that 10 year mark, your chance of relapsing from like that particular cancer and, and coming out of remission was like almost gone. So there's these big moments that you try to get to this three year, this five year, this 10 year mark. And it's pretty rare for people with leukemia, especially with AML to not relapse at some point. Oh really? Yeah. Wow. So dad never relapsed. Um, dad, he was this really odd success story through all of this. Did he have Um, to do chemotherapy? He did chemo and then was, uh, getting ready to do a bone marrow transplant. Um, and had developed an infection in his right lung called aspergillosis, and they ended up having to remove the bottom lobe of his right lung. Oh, man. Um, so they they had to get him healthy enough to be able to do a bone marrow transplant. And through all that, he ended up going into remission on another round of chemo. Awesome. Um, yeah. So I mean, it sucks he had to go through chemo, but <clears throat> still, to not have to get a bone marrow transplant sounds yeah, like a yeah sounds like a W there. Yeah, man. It's it's. It's crazy, and um, it's something that it. I was my buddy. I was, I told you I was trail running with a buddy yesterday, Jim Hall, and Jim and I met through LLS. Jim was one of my participants for team and training, hmm. and um, Jim ended up being one of my groomsmen at my wedding, and we've shared a shit ton of miles together over the years on the bike, in the pool, running, racing, all these things together. Um. And, and we were reminiscing on our run yesterday about just how much of our life uh, Jim lost his dad to uh, a, a blood cancer as well. And we were reminiscing on, on the impact that a singular organization has had on our lives, right? Mm. Like the connections that we've made through it. And I mean, I met my wife through it. My wife was one of my participants. Wow. Um, and there's this big joke with team and training that it's called team and dating, Oh, because you're out there like logging these miles together. And again, it goes back to what I said in college. What the fuck else are you going to talk about <laughs> at a certain point? Like when you're running 20 miles with someone on a Saturday on, on a training run, like you're going to get into life stuff, you know? So you get you you form this really unique bond with these people. And then you're also bonded by. These traumatic stories and right. these, these moments in our lives of loved ones battling this or passing away from this or currently battling it or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, so this is a super long winded answer to your question, but yeah, I, I spent, um, almost, um, I think it was like almost five years working for LLS. Man, it sounds like it had a huge impact on your life. If not like maybe one of the largest impacts in like butterfly effects. Yeah. No, I mean, it it really did, man. It's, it's pretty crazy. I, I am um, forever again, like I said, Jim and I were talking about this yesterday. I'm forever grateful to that organization for so many things, for so many of the relationships that I've made throughout my life, for so many of the lives that have been impacted by Mm. the fundraising that people like me and all the participants who I worked with have done. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. The impacts that that organization has had on, on lives. And they're not 
they're not a nonprofit that is like, and, and not that there's anything wrong with this, but a lot of times what you hear, what you see with a lot of cancer organizations is they fundraise to support the patient's right in that moment. So it's, yeah. it's gas cards to get to and from therapy, it's housing, it's meals, which is wonderful and incredibly so needed. So needed. LOS, most of their money goes to research. So what's incredible is if you get on their website and you look at all the drugs that they've, the research that they funded and the drugs that have come out from it, a lot of times it's stuff that's not impactful for blood cancer, but it's, oh, wow, look at that medicine. We can use that to cure or to make an impact on breast cancer treatment. We can use that to make an impact on whatever, you know, so it's, it's interesting to see how much that funding has really made this pretty global impact yeah. on people. Um, you so know, even if they're, if, if they're trying to do research and find a cure for a certain kind of cancer, they miss the mark and it's still very helpful. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. That's awesome. It's really, it's, it's really nuts, man. There's, um, I'll send it to you if anybody wants to watch it so you can maybe throw it in the show notes, there's this, there's this video that they put out when I was working for them called like, I think it was called forged in fire. Um, and it's all about this T cell treatment that they did, that they developed. And it basically is like you, they inject these T cells into the body and these T cells just go hog wild on your, on your body. And they like go after and kill everything that's not supposed to be in there. And it, it was wild. Like you would watch these people who are like just incredibly sick, dying from cancer. And within a couple of days were like their cancer number markers were like super low and they're moving towards wow. being in remission. And that's, that's stuff that they've done. So anyways, I'm not here to go support LLS if you want to. It's a great organization, but that's not what I'm here to talk about. <laughs> but yeah, so that, that organization has had a huge impact on a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> but, but my story, I mean, yeah. it's, it's where we are. Um, yeah. What happened after that? What was the next, uh, what was the next move? I so, mean, you, and what did you do for them? Did you, did you, you know, most of the fundraising stuff, I guess, were you making, uh, were you making media for them? Were you, you know, sure. do, doing, doing marketing? So I was the campaign manager and eventually or campaign coordinator and then manager or whatever the hell. I don't remember the order that it goes or that it went at the time. So eventually I was over the whole state of Tennessee for about a year and a half before I left the organization. I was running TNT for the whole state. So it was primarily fundraising was the objective, right? But it was fundraising through these endurance sports. So I had a, a whole slew of coaches that were volunteers that would then train these athletes and get them to the race, to race day and get them to race. And in the process of that, those individuals are raising money to be able to do that yeah. event. Um, so it was, it was more about relationships for me than anything. We was, we created, it was kind of like trying to new age it a bit and like get it in on like, Hey, we should have Instagrams and social media pages for this shit. And like, you know, tell people what it is that we're fucking doing. Cause that helps sometimes people. When you're um, trying to raise money, yeah. awareness is, uh, is very important. Fun fact. <laughs> it's good to tell that story to people outside of just like, you know, the 10 people that, you know, um, but no, there wasn't a ton of media stuff that I was doing specifically that I was helping to generate and create. It was a lot more of managing the operation, the holistic approach to the to the whole thing. Yep, and then helping to find those corporate fundraising dollars and whatever where we could. So when Michelle and I got married um, in June of 2015, um, I had I 
quit working at LLS that May um, because I was traveling a lot across the state or around mainly like Knoxville, Nashville, Chattanooga. Um, but when Michelle and I met, our daughter Anderson was two. Um, I adopted Anderson once we got married, so she was four. And um, when Michelle's schedule, somebody kind of needed to be around and a lot more present with things. And also things were just changing within the organization and it wasn't what it used to be for mm-hmm. me. And I was ready kind of to grow and do something different. Um, and I really just kind of, I, I say stumbled, but I don't mean it in a negative way. I just stumbled cause I didn't have any direction from there really until I got to where I am now. Like mm. I was a realtor. I did, I was a catering manager for Zoe's kitchen. I <laughs> like, did some business development work. I started um, my own company called Knox Flux, which was like an experience company. Um, we planned like date nights and all that kind of stuff around town for people, events and experiences yeah. for folks. Um, and the pandemic did a really good job of like, you know, just killing. <laughs> Snuffing that. that. Um, so you said that your, that your daughter was two years old when yeah. you met your wife. Yeah. So is that previous marriage for her? Yeah. Okay. And <clears throat> you said that you earlier in our conversation, you said that there was, you, you've been very open about the adoption process yep. and all that. What, what's that like? I mean, you always hear about that happening yeah. with, with, with the stepdad coming in. And I know that that's not you anymore. I'm sure you're a dad, Sure. you know, uh, but, but what is that whole <laughs> process like of coming into a family that already feels like it's maybe made or maybe it's just missing a small part. So I used to call it, I used to say that when I got married, it was like, I had a shake and bake family. Yeah. You know, just add water basically. Right. Yeah. Um, or in our case, like gin and bourbon at our wedding. And there you go. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I came to it just like I was saying earlier with that whole, like defining today's dad, I came into the adoption process differently than a lot of people come into Mm -hmm. it. So Michelle's ex, um, completely out of the picture, hmm. non-existent, gone, nowhere to be found. Yeah, that's fine. Whatever. Yeah. Um. So when Anderson was born, uh, it was just Michelle. Her mom was living oh, wow. her with her at the time and everything. So that when I met Anderson, when Michelle and I started dating, um, you know, her and I kind of pretty quickly had that conversation of like there's either like serious potential for this to go somewhere or like this doesn't go anywhere because like there's a kid. Yeah. You it know? feels like you have to extrapolate things quickly. Yeah, you do. And start making big decisions. <laughs> yeah, you do really quickly. Our, yeah. It's like, can't we just like go hook up or something? <laughs> like, can we just do this the other way? Yeah. <laughs> like, how does this work? <laughs> Damn it. Um, yeah. So, you know, and like I said, I think that's that old soul piece to me that was like, I very understandably, I think a lot of people would run from that. I, mm. I almost think maybe to some extent I was looking for that without knowing I was looking for that. Like, I guess maybe just looking for that like foundation piece, right? Like, yeah. um, I've never said that out loud and I don't know that I've ever really thought about that before. So anyways, that was, an, I just needed a minute to process that as Good. I said it. Um, so yeah, so we, we got married and, um, the intention was always to adopt Anderson. Sure. Um, couple fun facts about the wedding. So one, we, um, Anderson was involved in it. She was our flower girl and she was, she was two, she was four at the time. She was four. Okay. So, um, I'm not being rude. I'm pulling this picture up to show you as we're talking. 
Um, so she was two when you guys met, four when you guys. Yes. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Ish, you know, yeah, on yeah. all those fronts. Yeah, yeah. So we, we, um, we got married, and she, we were walking down the aisle after we got married, and I, I mean, I'll never forget it, man. It's still like it. It, I get goosebumps every time I tell the story. She grabbed at my jacket, and uh, she goes, "Hey, Anthony," and I was like, "Yeah." She goes, "Do I get to call you dad now?" Oh man! And like we didn't talked about it. Like it wasn't a conversation oh. that Michelle and I had had with her independently or together or whatever. And it was just kind of one of those moments of like, oh yeah, like this is cool. What did that do to you? Melted me. How did you, <laughs> how did you keep from sobbing? I did while it. You did it? No, hell no. And then yeah. we went and before Michelle, I think it was before Michelle and I did our first dance, Anderson and I did a dance together. Oh, that's awesome. And I was just fucking basket case the whole Were time. You? Just, <laughs> I love you. And, you know, she's like, can I go play with my friends now? I'm like, do whatever you me. want. <laughs> that's, so she, that's adorable. And it's not a, uh, you know, that's, that's not a <clears throat> situation. That's not a story that everybody can tell. You no. Know? And it's an interest. Oh, let me see this. Picture. So we had our, sorry, I wasn't trying to catch you off, but no, I no. want you to see that. Oh so gosh. that photo went viral. <laughs> On, while we were on our honeymoon, that's Anderson kissing the ring bearer, who is her best friend, still a really good friend of hers. So the photographer literally goes like, you guys can kiss. The bride and groom can kiss now. And Anderson fucking like horse collared the dude. I mean, it looks like she is to town. laying it on. She it. is. She has her arm around his neck. She's pulling him in. She did it twice. He looks borderline terrified he but is. also like he's enjoying he it. got the opposite of me too did you just <laughs> yeah. did did you just google kissing flower girl kissing and, flower and girl and that pops photo up that comes yeah up. dude we were in jamaica on our honeymoon and all of a sudden i my phone starts getting blown up blown up from new york numbers and it's fucking cnn calling us and they're like hey are you on your honeymoon we want to talk about your daughter kissing in at your wedding i'm like no, <laughs> thanks. So I'm gonna go drink on a beach. Yeah, you went. You went from uh, you know from being a single man to you know having to worry about that shit. In, yeah, in yeah. Two days. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, that is too good. Yeah, it was pretty funny, man. It's um, it was a wild, and it's funny how like that was 2015. Yeah, it feels like a lifetime ago, man. Sure, it sure I mean, does. It, it, it was, I guess, in theory, but yeah, um, you know, so you've been married seven years now. Yeah. I so guess. I adopted Anderson not long after we got married. Um, you got your work cut out for you, but yeah, no shit. Thanks. <laughs> Trust me. I know that every day, every day I'm reminded of that. I have my work cut out for me. Um, yeah. So I adopted her and it was a pretty like. Like I said, there's nobody else in the picture and I had been in the picture since she was two. So it was this yeah. really like it, it, um, we're actually coming up on the anniversary of it. I think it's November 21st is the day that I adopted her. And I remember writing this letter to her that night after I adopted her and, um, you know, kind of one of those ones to like tuck away. And I had written something to the extent on it about like, you know, how I always cherish that day and remember it and all these things. And I I had in my head this idea of like, we would celebrate that day, like almost as like a birthday yeah. every year. Right. And then I kind of came to this realization, like within the first year of like, I don't know that I want to do that. Like, 
didn't want to draw attention to it or draw attention to denormalize it. Yeah. Like you're mine. And I don't need that to be anything different than you being mine. Just being mine. Yeah. You know? Um, and it's crazy, man. I like, obviously, you know, I have a son, Oliver, that's, he's biologically, you know, Michelle and I, and people say that you love, you know, when you have a kid and you, you have kids, so you get this, like the, it, it is a love in which you can't explain. You don't, you, you, it's just different. Right. Sure. I don't know that I'm able to separate that between Anderson and Oliver. That's awesome. And I think I was worried about that at a point in time before Oliver was around yeah. maybe like, but there are moments of things with Anderson that I wish I, there's parts of like the only experience, the only emotion I have around it that's in a negative or anything is that like, I wish I had had those first two years with her. Like I love her yeah, that makes sense. and having her so much that it's like, you want all of that time. Yeah. You want, but, but she also wouldn't be the person she is if I had had that time. Sure. You know, so it's a, it's a unique situation to be in to some extent. I mean, there's plenty of people who are in it. Right. But it's a, it's a unique experience to me within that. Um, but yeah, it's like, it goes back to that, like defining today's dad thing. Like that's my definition of a today's dad, right? Is it's just completely fucking ass backwards from what you would think how most people come into being a parent. But while the circumstances may have been different and might not be textbook, you still found the, you yeah. found the path. You still right. found the, you still found the ocean, even if the river was a little bit yeah. different. <clears throat> it's, it's fascinating. I've, I've, that's a, a, a family dynamic that I've, that I've always wondered about and it doesn't always go that way no it doesn't you know it doesn't and we're i mean life is not you know this painted through rose colored glasses mentality all the time right like we're anderson's 11 we're dealing with some shit right now man like we've had some knockout drag outs over where arguments come up over just an 11 year old girl being an 11 year old girl and all of a sudden you get the well you're not my dad oh really you you're only you only love me because you love mom which mm. the sarcastic asshole of me is like, because it would be weird if I loved you and didn't love your mom. Wants to be like the first <laughs> response. Like <laughs> she said to me when I was like, you only adopted me because you wanted to be with mom. I'm like, correct. <laughs> like <laughs> flipping the script on that would be weird. <laughs> like, hey, random girl, you want to be adopted by me? <laughs> I'm know? single as hell. <laughs> <laughs> I need someone to love. <laughs> That that's interesting. Oh man, I can't believe that that's coming back at you though. Well, that's, kids are shits, man. They really can be, man. But I but I also think there's value in exp- in understanding her experience with that, you know, and trying to. And I've, as I said to her on one of the nights when we had that, I'm like, I'm not adopted. I don't come from a blended family. I can only empathize with you to a point. Hmm. What I can tell you is that I love you. And that if you want to like pipe off on me and just go to town, you can, I'm here. It's safe. doesn't feel great to some extent, but like, I'll be that sounding board for you. If you need that, if if that's what you need. Yeah. Here's the space for it. You know? Yeah. Um, Because man, that's gotta be hard. Like think about that. Like when you all of a sudden you have the sex talk with your parents and then all of a sudden it's like, huh? 
well, how is dad, dad? Like, I know dad came into the picture at your and his wedding, mm-hmm. but I haven't really tied all that together before. You know, yeah. now all of a sudden you're tying it together as an 11 year old. When do you have the sex talk? We had it when she was in fifth grade. So she was that like sounds about 10, right. Nine, 10, something like that. So recently. Is that advised? Is that is that about the right time? Is that what is that what the experts say to do? I you know, I think Michelle and I were of the mindset that Anderson probably knew more than she had let on at that point. And we kind of just tried to keep the door open for her to ask questions. Ask questions and be able to approach us with what she needed to ask and when she needed to ask it. Um kids are learning stuff a lot sooner and a lot quicker than uh, then they were, I, I guess are, I knew man. what sex was when I was in fifth grade. Oh yeah. Fourth definitely. Grade. Right. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know where I learned it from. I, I got to think fourth grade. It's funny. I mean, just how you compartmentalize stuff like fourth grade. I don't remember much past, like just our experience with dad being sick. Fifth grade. I remember like, yeah, like lime wire and, oh yeah, you know, yeah. Finding things on LimeWire. <laughs> yeah. Well, think about that it's happening as early, even earlier now. Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah. You can find that stuff anywhere now. Anywhere. Yeah. And it's- Just just go search for it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's frightening. It's terrifying to think that there's, you know, eight, nine, 10 year old girls who can go Google something unsavory and see it right away. It's, yeah. Innocence is gone. Well-, well Yes, it is. It's and I, super frightening and super hard as a parent to to it, reckon with. It is the most impossible thing as a parent because you want we Michelle and I struggle with this daily. Like Anderson doesn't have a phone yet. She's got an iPad. She's got an Apple Watch. She can text and communicate with her friends and all that kind of stuff. And you, at a certain point, you're isolating them if you don't give them the ability to communicate with their friends. Sure. Right. But you're also doing them a disservice if you let them do it in an unmonitored fashion. Right. But what is that threshold? Right. Because like, if you can find anything you want on YouTube for the most part or anything you want clearly on Safari or Google Chrome or whatever, but in the same breath, you can find some really cool shit on YouTube. And we've got a kid that really loves to learn and likes to type stuff in and explore things, but she's also 11. Yeah. So, She's going to be tempted to type stupid shit in sometimes. Yeah. And like her and I were literally just having this conversation last night because something popped up in her search history on her iPad that, you know, I, at the end of the day, it's not all that bad what she searched, but I'd rather her come to mom or me with mm. that question than searching it, you know? Um, And we had to have that conversation around that. I'm like, do I question that you're going to learn what it is by searching it no the process through which you're going to learn it though might not be the exact process that i want you to go through you know and that's that's hard i'm not ready to have the sex talk oh buckle the fuck up buddy let me tell you i've already talked to my wife about how we're gonna have the sex talk and we're you know hopefully years away i'm gonna tell you a couple stories when we get offline because one of the things so something that's really interesting on the podcast front i have been as very as open as i've been about my journey through things i i've realized how much of that is in theory me being 
open about Anderson's journey on a lot of stuff too. And three years ago when we started the show, she felt so much younger and felt less of her own person and more of an extension of us still kind of at that point. Now she's knocking on the door of being a woman. Yeah. And it's, and it's, I've found it harder to talk about things about her on here because not that I think that Anderson's get like, and everything I say, I would, I would say to her, I've talked with her about or whatever, but there is this balance. It's, it's like, I used to kind of roll my eyes at the parents who would put like a emoji over their kid's face when they would post about them on their stories or something on Instagram. And it's like, well, why the fuck put the picture up to begin with then? (laughs) But then it's like, well, I guess you are protecting your kids. You're letting your kid choose whether or not they want to have themselves be in these things or be a part of these stories that we're talking about or whatever. So anyways, that said, I do have a funny, a funny story. I'll tell you offline okay. <laughs> about the sex talk. But <laughs> Well, is, is there uh, is there anything else we, we need to, to hit on? Because I have had a fucking blast. It's been great, man. It has been good. And, and I definitely say it uh, uh, went a lot of places I didn't expect it to, which is fantastic. That's the point of the podcast, man. Yeah, it is. And thank you for, uh, for continuing to push the medium of podcasting. And, um, you know, I know so many people put out eight podcasts and quit. And you haven't done that. And I assume that with your company that you don't intend to let the people that you work with do (laughs) that either. And so, uh, in a way I'm, in a way I, I feel a little bit of a kinship with you because I feel like you're a champion of the, of the medium (laughs) medium, as as much as you are, uh, a creator and, and just an all around awesome guy to know and talk to. So I'm glad we got to do this. Yeah, man. Me too. I appreciate it. And I, commend you on all that you've done man i think like i said i mean getting you're 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 up there in the 150s man i mean it's that is no small it's no small feat no small feat and it's you've done such a cool job of giving people space to tell their stories and to share parts of themselves and you know like i said i mean that's a big it is it is something that i i really do treasure and it's something that i really do find to be um important that there are people who help to like Sherpa these stories out into the world for others to hear and learn and grow from, you know? So, yeah, I, th- I feel like we're just little conduits, you know, right. And toolboxes and toolboxes, <laughs> big old toolboxes, big fat toolboxes. Oh, <laughs> uh, Anthony, it's good to meet you and good to know you and good to hang out. I'm glad we did this. Thanks for coming by. Yeah, man. Thanks for and, having uh, me. Maybe, maybe some other time we'll do it again. Yeah. All right, cheers. Take care, man. All right. How'd we do? Hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you guys so much for being here. Check out our Teespring. Get a little holiday gift. A little South of Scruffy merch. Teespring.com slash South of Scruffy. That's where all our merch is. We got the hoodies. The Howdy Y'all hoodies are up there. Got all the good stuff. Stocking stuffers. Check it out. See if you can find something you like. All right, take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. We'll talk to you real soon, all right? Hitchwire, play me out. <laughs>